Welcome to Fragmented, a software developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. My name's Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Hey, before we get going, I wanted to let you all know that Kaushik and I are now putting out videos on YouTube. So be sure to check us out on YouTube. I'm talking about anything that's software development related, also introducing anything that's freelancing related. So if you want to become a freelancer and you're a software developer, I'm the channel for you because I'll be talking about both topics. So anything from billing your clients, how much you should bill, how you can find clients, all the way down into technology itself. You know, should you be choosing Ruby on Rails or Node or Android or what do I think about Flutter or anything like that? I talk about all those topics. You can find my channel at donfelker.com slash YouTube. Again, that's donfelker.com slash YouTube. Now, Kaushik is just getting going with his YouTube endeavor, and he'll be talking about hardware, software, tech topics, uh, programming, you name it. There's all kinds of stuff he's going to be chatting about as well. And you want to check out his channel at y.jkl.gg. Again, that's y.jkl.gg. We'll put both of these links into the show notes so you can just click on the show notes and navigate over to our channels. And we hope to see you over there and hope you get something out of it. With that, let's get to the show. All right, Kaushik, we're back again. This time to talk about something that you and I always seem to talk about offline, and that is what books we're reading. So welcome back to the show. Yeah. I think we did one of these episodes quite some time back, and that was a pretty popular one too. I remember a lot of folks were like, this is great. You should do one again. And we were like, yeah, we definitely will. It just took a little time. <laughs> yeah, I think we covered a lot of software books in that one this time. So this one, for me at least, would be a little bit of a deviation from that because I don't I don't read a lot of software books, but I, will, I do have uh, some stuff that's tech related in there. So it should be an uh, interesting... Uh, adventure down <laughs> what we're reading and so forth. Yeah, perfect. I, I have a couple of technical books, but yeah, I also do have some that are not exactly technical. I am super curious though to mm-hmm. see what you're reading. I do know that you're like a voracious reader, at least compared to me. I am definitely far more on the blog post slash video uh, consumption side than on actual books. And I do remember you also mentioning a bunch of tips in the past and also, like, as we, you know, a lot of this, again, is probably in our conversations that we have off air. So I wanted to start first by actually, like, asking you some questions specifically around how you read, you know, how you consume and, like, what are, like, some tips that you can give folks, you know, especially because I think reading books is one of those habits that most people want to, like, you know, inculcate. They want to sort of develop more on that habit. But, you know, it, for some reason or the other, it isn't as easy. So I want to like pepper you with some questions uh, as we start there. Let's do it, man. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. So uh, I, I guess the first question is, what is your primary form of consumption? Do you actually read physical books? Do you purchase physical hard copies uh, or is it audiobooks? Yeah, let's start there. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And um the answer to that is all of them. And, but I, let me preface this whole conversation with, I don't like reading uh, <laughs> and B, I am not good at reading. Uh, so I might read a lot, but it takes me a long time to digest a lot of information. So sometimes someone might read a, 
a page and it might take them, you know, 20, 30 seconds to read a page. It might take me twice to three times as long because I might have to reread a paragraph over and over and over to be like, what does that mean? And so that's just, I'm just a slow reader and I've never really enjoyed it. And in high school and college didn't enjoy it. So that said, uh, for many years, I didn't do any reading whatsoever. And it wasn't until in the middle of the early 2000s when I met uh, a friend of mine named Jesse and he gave me an audio book by Malcolm Gladwell. I forget which one it was. And he said, you got to listen to this book. It's amazing. And I had never listened to a book before in my life. And he goes, he gave me the MP3s. This is before Audible was around. And I loaded them onto my MP3 player at the time. And I listened to it. And I ended up listening to it at the gym. And that was my initial foray into getting into reading. And so for many years, shortly after Audible came out, many years after, I just did audiobooks. And I would do it during my downtime. So meaning I always had to commute to a client's office or when I was working in for an employer, anytime I was commuting, that time was now turned into time I could learn. And that's when I used all my audiobooks. And then as of recently, I'd probably say over the last mm, five, six, seven years, I've transitioned to a lot of physical books. Uh, and then the last year or so, I've actually introduced a Kindle into that as well. Nice, nice. Oh, so you basically consume all forms of media because that was the other question that I had. Um, each medium sort of brings certain limitations, right? Yes. Uh, so if it's a physical book, obviously you got to carry it around. And there's some aspect towards like, okay, you need like light. Hopefully you're reading this in bright light, mm-hmm. you know, so that rules out, uh, you know, reading it at night or, you know, unless you have like a table lamp or something. And I know like these sound like basic questions, but I feel it influences how much uh, you read and how you read, right? Yeah. The other question I had is, so you did mention one thing that's interesting, which was one of my follow-up questions. Do you read books now, like, you know, passively? Do you do it like while working out, while, you know, uh, running? Uh, Or do you intentionally sort of like focus now more on, I'm going to sit down and devote some time to like reading 10 pages a day or something, you know, has that changed or do you both, do you do both? Like, yeah. Well, oh, where's your head at with those things? Yeah. So it's a combination. I'm, st- I'm a huge believer in using your passive time wisely. So that's going to be your, your driving time. It could be a commute, could be going to the doctor's office, whatever, whenever you're, whenever I'm driving and no one is in the car with me, I will put on a book usually or a podcast. So it's something, it's either one of those, but a lot of time lately it's been a book. Um, when I am doing dishes, when I am maybe folding laundry, well, and actually I can't even say folding laundry because that's when I like to watch YouTube videos that I've saved. <laughs> so it's mainly dishes. It's when I'm doing something else, but my mind is just not doing anything. That's when I'm going to listen to audiobooks, and that's dishes, that's mowing the lawn, yard work. Uh, and then if I'm going for a run or going for a walk, so just right before this call, I got back from a 45 minute walk and I listened to one of the books I'm going to talk about today. So both of those. And then as for the physical books, I actually have to set aside time to do that. Otherwise I won't do it. And as you mentioned, uh, 10 pages a day, that's what I've been doing for many years now. And so every morning when I wake up, I make some tea. And then one of the first things I do is I try to read just 10 pages of whatever book I'm, I'm working on. And that usually, um, that's, doesn't include audiobooks. That's physical reading of a book, a physical book or a Kindle book. And I'll read 10 pages. And the challenge with Kindle books is sometimes they don't give you the page count. So what I've found is 
I'll kind of go look at the page count and then it'll, it'll tell me how many sections or whatever they call it inside of Kindle. And then I'll kind of just do some quick math, say, all right, well, how many sections would be in per page? And then kind of just do a quick calculation like, oh, okay, in this book, 14 sections is a page. And then I'll just do, all right, I have to read 140 sections today. And that's just kind of how I keep track of at a very loose level of 10 pages a day. And then by doing that in the morning, I get it done. I feel productive. Might take me 10 minutes, might take me half an hour. And then it, at that level, if I'm reading 10 pages a day of a physical book, I will burn through at least one regular sized business book per month on average, because around 300 pages. But that's something I try to do. So it's always, I always try to to read something, you know, and I count physical in the morning, meaning I have to hold it. So that counts the actual real books and the Kindle books. Uh, I do that every morning and then the audible books uh, and every other time. And I think the, the thing that's difficult to wonder is like what books, you know, some people might be wondering like, when do you decide what, when to use physical, when Kindle, when audio, that is a good question. I don't have an exact si- that down to a science, but what I've started actually leaning towards is everything goes either into Kindle or Audible first. I am much more of a, I don't like having a lot of clutter in my house. I like to have a much more of a minimalist, I would say. And I only buy books that after I've maybe started listening to them or I've started reading them on Kindle, I'm just like, wow, like this is amazing. I want to open this book up, highlight it, dog ear it. Like I want to go to town on it. If I feel that way, then I'll go buy the physical book because I'm probably going to reread it and I'm probably going to use it as a reference uh, for the future as well. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty good because it's funny for me, what I've found is a couple of follow-up points. With physical books, I found that for me, having a physical book and just having it lying around in my vicinity encourages me at times to like sort of, like, you know, just pick it up and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pick it up and just read a few pages. So mm-hmm. I found that's why I like physical books. And also when it comes to like technical books, usually I prefer physical books. I, yeah. I actually don't even know why, because you would think the reverse makes sense. Because if you have code, you can copy paste. When I'm reading books, you know, I want it to be a pleasurable experience. It isn't something that I would consider like work in my head. So I, I almost want it to be like a leisurely thing. So one tip that I found is, you know, uh, I don't program it into my day, but, you know, when I'm like making coffee, like this morning before we started recording, when I'm making coffee, right after coffee, instead of like where I would sit and like, you know, you know, browse on my phone or like, you know, watch TV or something. And again, I feel this is like a very strong pandemic habit just because like, you know, you're in front of the screen all day. So there were days where I was actually bored of like, you know, watching something like as I was drinking coffee first thing in the morning. Uh, so just picking up these books, just reading a few pages, that's helped a lot for me. Like you, I'm also way bigger in passive reading. Um, I don't actively read as much as I would like to, but again, you know, just as we find ourselves at home, like doing dishes, doing laundry has become something that we have, I've had to do like more often. Mm-hmm. And I found just listening to books or listening to like podcasts, that kind of stuff, it just makes all of those a very you know, pleasurable experience to the point where some days I don't even mind, right? You know, I'm not bitter about (laughs) having to wash dishes constantly or, you know, uh, having to do laundry. I'm like, well, just bring it on. I actually would like to finish that other book or something. So Mm -hmm. I've definitely found that's where I lean very similarly on that front. The thing though, that I wanted to ask, and this was something I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have as a problem. Usually a lot of folks are very disheartened by 
their reading accomplishments, so to speak. So let me elaborate a little on that. When you when you start to read books, what tends to happen is like you have four or five books and you're like, okay, I need to get four or five books done. And until I finish these books, I'm not going to buy any more books and I'm not going to read anything else. And what I've found is that actually for the longest time, that was always my uh, sort of thought process. Because like you, again, I, I don't like accumulating too many physical stuff, uh, physical items in my home. So I'm like, I got these four books you know, until I finish these four books, I'm not going to move forward. But what tends to happen is you reach a point where you're like mentally fatigued, right? And I think I've brought in myself to say that, hey, that's okay. Like if you don't feel like reading these four books now, that's okay. Keep them. You know, you can read a few pages from each of these books. That's the other thing. Like, you know, a lot of people who have like this completionist sort of philosophy where you're like, I'm taking this book until I finish this book. I'm not going to read anything else. I've found personally that hugely limits like the amount that I'm reading. But if I almost, you know, take it in sort of bits where I'm like, it's okay, I'm going to pull up like a Malcolm Gladwell book. I'm going to read it like an autobiography, you know, or like, you know, a, a, a biography of another book, but then I'm going to read another technical book and, you know, just keep switching it up. That hugely reduces the mental load for me. And I've found that I actually net land up reading more when I, you know, take the burden of having to like complete each of those books, if that makes sense. Uh, does. Ha- have you found like something similar in, in the same way? Yes. Uh, this is actually a, a line item I wanted to bring up in this conversation because I, like you said, a lot of people have this problem and I suffered from this greatly for many years. Same as you. I was very serial oriented when, you know, I would read a book. I couldn't put down this book or start the next one until this one was finished. And I would, the problem with that for me was that I would get halfway quarter of the way through a book and be like, I hate this book. (laughs) And I was like, but I had been programmed since I was a young child through school that you have to finish this book because there's going to be a book report or whatever. And that mental model had set in stone and like, I have to finish the book. And what would end up happening is I would just, sometimes I'd just take it and put it to the side and then I would just stop reading. I wouldn't read anymore. And it wasn't until, you know, I started randomly picking up a few books here and there. I'd have a tech book that I'd use for when I was, you know, working on a tech project or, but there was nothing, no method to the madness. And it wasn't until I heard a, uh, a podcast, uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast where Naval Ravikant was on at one time. And Naval said something that just literally rocked my world as he has prone to do quite often. And he said, you know what? There's so many books, so many phenomenal books in this world in so little time that you're never going to be able to have all the time in the world to read all the greats, even the ones that you can learn the most from. You just won't, you just don't have enough time on earth to do this. So why let a bad book take any of that time? And, you know, maybe it's not even a bad book. It's just a book that you don't resonate with. So his thing was that he said, he's like, look, he's like, I, is I read many books at once. And I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. Why would you do that? And then he goes, this one might be a quarter of the way done. I might be three quarters to this one. I might be just you know, picking my way through this one over here, he goes, but I'll just pick it up and put it down as I, you know, feel the attraction to it. And he goes, and sometimes I'll just burn through the whole book, but I don't feel any obligation to finish a book. And that was the, the two concepts there is like having many in progress and then not feeling the obligation to finish it was what was the game changer for me. Because I remember, um, I was recently, I don't know, it was a few years ago, I was reading a Simon Sinek book that highly rated Everybody talks about how they love it. 
I freaking hated it. Like, I was just like, <laughs> this book, I don't, like, should have been a blog post. Like, what the hell? <laughs> um, That's true. And Naval popped in my head and I was like, oh. And I just put the book, I, I skimmed through it because that's what he recommends doing. He's like, if it doesn't interest you, just, just, he's like, I'll skim through it. See if I find something else that grabs my attention. And uh, I did that with the chapter titles and I skimmed through it and I just realized, I'm like, you know what? Don, just let, let the book go. Like, you have a whole stack over there you want to get to. And so I let that, you know, I've done that numerous times now. And at this given time, I probably have anywhere from 10 to 20 books in progress right now. And they all range in topics. So there's some times where I might be interested in learning about tech and I want to learn that tech thing. There's other times I'm, I want to learn about finance, uh, health, um, systems, uh, philosophy. Uh, it's all over the place. And then depends on what I'm feeling that morning. I'll just, I have, you know, a, a bunch of books on my Kindle and sitting next to where I sit every morning. I'll just kind of reach for the one that is speaking to me that day that's already in progress. And, uh, and I'll go with that one. So yes, very much the same. No, that that makes sense. Uh, I I like that low uh, burden sort of, and you know the thing obviously that you said about Naval Ravikant, where uh, you know there's only so much time you are not going to be able to read uh, more, and yeah, all the books that you ever wanted to. I mean, the funny thing is, I feel I don't know if I'll get the time to read all the books that I own. I literally own so many books. I don't even know if I'm going to get time to like read all of them. So, I, I yeah, I do think that resonates a lot and i think it's important to also be okay with reading something for just enjoyment like there is a friend of mine wrote he's a real estate guy in texas or whatever and he wrote this book on real estate stuff and i was like well i want to support him and see what it was like and i ended up reading it and it was actually just really fascinating to read it was not a super well-written book but mm. i read it for enjoyment and learned some stuff along the way and just you know hey now it's in my done list i mean it was only took me an hour or two to read so don't feel obligated to only read for learning that makes sense that makes sense what are some other tips did you have any other like uh, miscellaneous tips that you want to like hit us with in terms of like reading or like getting through books or how we should be approaching this for me it, it's just been consistency of, of 10 pages a day that's been a humongous game changer for me that and what i harp on a lot with people with this when i tell them this is that's your goal is just 10 pages. So sit down in the morning, find, you want to do it at the same time every day. Um, sit down, it could be at lunch, could be in the morning, whatever. I do it first thing uh, when no one's awake. Read those 10 pages. Now you may have to fight and grind your way through those 10 pages because you absolutely hate it. And tomorrow you might have to read those same 10 pages again because you forgot them, whatever, that's fine. Get in the habit and eventually things are just going to slowly take off. What you'll notice is sometimes you'll read 10 pages. Sometimes you'll be reading a book and be, and you will just fall in love with what you're reading, could be learning or whatever, and you'll find yourself reading 50 pages you know, or filling the time that you have reading. That's okay. Uh, but the goal is just 10 pages. And there's, I can't tell you how many times, countless times, I'll get done with my 10 pages and literally close the book as soon as possible. Like, oh, thank God that's over. <laughs> and then I'm on with the rest of my day. The last tip I have, uh, would, this is one I just recently learned about four or five months ago I've been experimenting with. and. I actually kind of like it. It's for books that I really want to cement the concept in my head. And it's going to be something that's maybe I haven't, it's a paradigm shift uh, of some sort to help change the way I'm thinking or, or just something like that. That's not like pleasure, but it's, you know, I, what's a good example here? Uh, one is um, Systemology is one of the books, which we'll talk about in a minute. And it's a book about systems and I'm trying to develop more systems in my life and uh, for my business and so forth. 
But what I, I picked this up from uh, a guy named Alex Hermosi is he he recommended, and he, this is from him. He goes, when you're trying to absorb a book, try buying the Audible version and a physical or Kindle version and reading along while the Audible book is read to you. Oh, fascinating. And, and so I tried that a couple of times and I was like, amazing. it works amazingly well. Like a lot of it really stuck really well. The hard part is sometimes it's easy to just get distracted because someone's reading to you and you're like, oh, I'm going to start thinking about whatever. But if you can stay focused, it's actually kind of amazing. And you'll find that you actually burn through the book, you know, so you'll sometimes wish you could, you'll speed up the speed in which someone's reading it back to. I'll have my <laughs> phone playing it. Right. Normally I listen at like 1.3 X because I don't like really slow. I can't stand 2 X because I can't understand it, hmm. but I will go a little bit faster in audible. That's another tip, but I'll find that normally when I'm listening to an audible book in my vehicle, it's about 1.3 to 1.4 X. When I'm reading along and they're reading it to me, I need to bump it up to like 1.6. So quite a bit faster just because I'm seeing the words and I'm like, your brain's just processing it faster. So that's been the, the other tip that I've tried and, and that's worked out pretty well. If it's something that's super complicated, really in depth, challenging to read, I can't do that because I just need to go slow and, and decipher it. That makes sense. I think the key is like also people have this mode in their mind where I'm supposed to do it this way, so I'm going to stick to doing this. Mm -hmm. I think you you got to like start with something and then like sort of, you know, keep keep it loose where you start to discover the thing that works for you. And uh, that's where like it can get tricky. For example, the thing that you mentioned, I it reminds me a lot about some of these people who do these things called speed reading uh, or, you know, there's also that whole thing where when you read something, do you actually say it out loud in your mind as you read and those kind of things? So I wonder it plays uh, how that all plays together. I can tell you it's it's wildly different for uh, different people. My brother actually is one of the fastest readers I know. Uh, just and he's like this voracious reader. But I just know in my mind and like the way he tells me about how he reads books is so different. But I'm like I don't even understand what like some really? of the things that you're saying. Yeah, because he, I mean, yeah, he he does. He, in his mind, he's like I it doesn't play in my head. Like when I actually read this thing, I don't have a I don't have my inner voice actually read it out to me. For me, if that doesn't happen, I cannot comprehend anything. Like, you know, if I don't have that voice playing in my head, it's just like, you know, the, the words, like I'm just looking at words. It doesn't mean anything to me, which also might explain why with audiobooks, my, you know, I can do different things and have an audiobook playing, but I process so much more faster, right? So yeah, I think, yeah, there's something there in the way different people process information. Yeah, I, th I think... The way you process it is interesting. And I think I heard this yesterday from Nassim Nicholas Taleb, uh, which is another author. And he said something in one of his books that I'm listening to that um, he said, you know, that's, there's some study that was done that when people read a book a second time, like it just connects a bunch of things that were disparate before inside of your mind that are not like it re It starts making new connections because like, oh, I've kind of seen this before. So now I can kind of make other correlations that can, can connect these things together, which is basically means that you're going to comprehend it much more. You're going to absorb the content much more. Uh, and that kind of loops back into when I do buy a physical book, it's usually because I've already listened to it or read it digitally. And I'm like, wow, I, I, like I said, I really love this thing. I really want to absorb it as much as possible. And then I'll buy the physical version and do what you do. I might leave it on the table and then swing by and just kind of pick it up like, oh yeah, there's that concept or there's that thing. 
Yeah, it makes so much sense. Uh, tip for like, you know, if you're students and you're listening to this and you want to study, you know, you know how if you take a book and you need to study something, that's something I wish people had told me much earlier in my days of school. Generally, people feel like, okay, I'm going to ha- I'm gonna have to study this chapter or something. So people are like, okay, until I process and understand every single bit of this, I'm going to like, read through. It, it, it goes so similarly to what you just now mentioned. What I found is way more powerful is like the first time around, just read through the whole thing. Like even if you don't understand every single uh, aspect or every single line, it doesn't matter. Just get get a lay of the land. Start from the bottom, like start from the top till the end get a lay of the land. And then when you read through again a little more carefully, the dots just start like connecting so much faster that I wish that was like a tip someone gave me when, you know, in my back in my school days, it took me a long time to like get to that point until I realized it. Obviously, you know, again, different sort of strokes. Uh, I, I would do that only for things that I really know I have to study and absorb. For things that I consider pleasure when I'm reading for my own benefit or joy, I don't do that because, you know, it it, it takes a toll, or at least for me, it's mentally exhausting to like have to <laughs> do that and force yourself to process information that you otherwise would not, you know, joyfully absorb. Exactly. Yeah, it does. And some reading can get very tiring. <laughs> it attacks you. <laughs> Perfect. Uh so how about this? Let's kick it off by uh, talking about some of the books we are reading or we mm-hmm. would recommend. I've got about five or six books. I know you have more. So how about we start with your five books and we go to my five, then we'll like, you know, close it out with uh, some of the books that you have. Sound like a plan? Yeah. So yeah, my list is very long here. Um, so I'm going to have to pick and choose which ones I want. Um, but so for me, uh, I'm going to actually start with, uh, as I, I think I stated to you before we started this call that I'm not reading, I don't read a lot of tech books and it might sound weird that I'm in tech that that I don't read. I find for me, I learn best when I do. So Mm. I might watch a video, do a tutorial and write the code and see how it works, debug into it. For me, that's how I learn tech stuff, except when I need to learn a concept or understand something fundamental, like why should I choose this over this? Mm. Um, So the book that I'm reading right now is called Designing Data Intensive Applications. It's an O'Reilly book. Um, what's the author's name here? I'm trying to see. Uh, Martin. I'm not even going to try his last name. I'll murder it. So um, <laughs> it's by Martin K. We'll put a link in the show notes. And it's a book about just designing data intensive applications. So applications that have a ton of data and then helping you decide all right, should you use this database framework? How should you process this kind of data? Mm. Uh, It's very interesting because it's very, very in-depth, actually too in-depth for me, to be honest, because he gets really into the weeds Mm -hmm. about, all right, in this case, we're going to store this many, this database engine stores blocks this way on the disk. And the reason why is because it does this and it's fast because that. To me, I'm like, I don't give a crap. Um, <laughs> like, just tell me that's fast. Show me the proof that it's fast, that I should use this for this application, this for this type of application. And here's why. That's what I want to know. He covers all of that kind of stuff, uh, but he just definitely does get into the weeds. Highly recommend it. Great book. Um, I still have a long way to, to work through it. Um, but for me, when I run into those areas where it's like really in the weeds and like that's not something i really want to know or will use then i'll kind of just skim past it and move on to the next section so that's number one number two is a book i I mentioned before which is called systemology this is one of the ones that i i actually have all three copies i have (laughs) physical kindle and um the audible book and this is one of the ones that's kind of being read to me while i read it and the 
subtitle of this is Create Time, Reduce Errors, and Scale Your Profits with Proven Business Systems. And the author, David Jennings, walks through just building systems within a business. So if you are starting your own business, maybe you're in a startup uh, and you are wondering how to create more systems, that's a fantastic book. He actually approaches it from a very small company mindset. Hmm. Um, so very useful in that regard. Um, the other one, number three that I'm that uh, I am actually rereading now uh, for I don't know what time this is multiple times now is this book called Who Not How by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hard. Hmm. And this the subtitle is The Formula to Achieve Bigger Goals Through Acceleration Accelerating Teamwork. And this to me was probably one of the best books that I've read in a number of years because it was one of those books that's kind of like a baseball bat up to the side of the head, mm. but with stuff that you already know, but you haven't done until someone's kind of just told you it over and over. And the basic, the synopsis of the book is uh, to put it in a software developer perspective, let's say you want to go out and build a product. You are used to doing everything yourself, writing the code, uh, doing implementing everything yourself. We all know if you go try to build a software product by yourself, do everything yourself, it's going to take forever. You're probably going to fail. Mm -hmm. um, this book says, basically walks you through that. Not from a software developer perspective, but hey, you want to do something, you're going to need to find someone to help you do it. So it's been seminal for me to realize, hey, this is probably not a good use of my time. And so to give a prime example, that is this podcast is... Mm. We, and I was editing a lot of podcasts and producing a lot of them in the last year. And I realized I'm like, wait, this is not like, I can do this. I'm good at this, but this is not a good use of time. Like there are people out there that will, that will do this for me faster, probably cheaper than I can do it that are pros. And I went out and found someone that, that does exactly that. And he helps out with a podcast now, um, now and then, and I'll just send him files and he'll edit, clean them up, make them sound perfect. So a lot of the podcasts people listened to recently have been done by, that guy, but what it did is save me time and allowed me to move forward. And it just, it really harps on that of just thinking in that regard of like, who can do this? Not how can I do this? And, um, it is one of the books I think could have been half the length that it is. It's not long, but <laughs> I think it was useful for me to be really beat into my head. So that one was super, super useful. Um, that's number three, number four that I'm reading right now is actually on, uh, audible that I was listening to this morning. And I've had, this is one of the ones that I bought years ago and I've just never got around to it. And this one is Skin in the Game by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And this one is just goes kind of all over the place, but he, Taleb is a very deep thinker and just goes deep in all kinds of topics. And this one, I can't give a full synopsis on it. I'd probably say I'm about mm, almost halfway through it. He just goes and talks about how, you know, if there's going to be some type of, you know, the, of change it's implemented, having some type of skin in the game will require you to act differently in that. And so the best way to think about this is, let's say in a software perspective, again, you are, you're working in a startup, you have your own idea for a startup. You're like, I'm going to go build this thing. There's two ways you can do this. I mean, there's multiple, let's just say there's two. One is you're going to build it at nights and weekends while you work your full-time job. You know, you want that, it's too risky otherwise. Maybe you do have the money saved up. You could do it yourself for six months, but you just don't want to make that risk. You do it nights and weekends. The option B is you basically burn the boats and you jump ship and you go all in on your idea and you have six months to make it or die. 
Now, Talib's going to say, look, uh, which one is probably more likely to succeed? Option B, because you now have some major skin in the game. Like, uh, if I don't make this, like, my livelihood is on the line. And you're much more likely to do things you wouldn't do than if you had a safety net of like, ah, you know what? I'm going to go out with my friends on happy hour tonight, and I'll just get to the to the work tomorrow. That's true. That's true. So, super deep thinker book. Uh, really super interesting. Um, and then... Number five here, this one is, this one I think a lot of viewers would, uh, listeners would find interesting. This one is called Zero to Sold, and it's by uh, Arval Khan. And it's, uh, I listened to it actually, and I uh, ended up buying the Kindle version as well. And uh, Arval talks about the process in which he built a software company by, you know, bootstrapped it himself uh, with his co-founder, which I think was his wife. And built it up to the point where he sold it and talks about everything that he did from, you know, how he developed, uh, how they used Docker to to release, how they, you know, did reporting and issues, how they did support and really walked through the whole business model from top to bottom. And here's how he set up his company. So by the time it was ready to be sold, it was just like a no brainer for a company to want to buy it. Super good book. Uh, It's one I'll, I'll be reading again. I got a whole slew of other ones, but let's hear your top five you're working on right now. Yeah. Those, man, that, that's a pretty good one. I'm already, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> adding to the list, adding to the list, adding to the list. <laughs> okay, so the, uh, let me start with this one. So I think we may have talked about this one too, but I'm at a point in my career at least where, you know, uh, and I guess with a lot of uh, bigger companies, uh, most engineers reach this point where they're like, hey, I'm in this sort of leadership role, but I don't actually manage people. So what do I do about this? It isn't clearly defined necessarily, and a lot of companies don't get it completely right. Uh, yeah. Of course, I think a lot of them have used this book in many ways to sort of like structure what a career engineering career growth ladder looks like. And this is the mm-hmm. book by Will Larson yes, called Staff Engineer. Mm-hmm. I love this book. Most I, Again, I don't know if it resonates as much for everyone else, but it did for me because a, sort of a senior IC, IC standing for individual contributor. Maybe I should give a little more background. So typically in most organizations, yeah. there is this term, you either go in the IC track, which is the individual contributor track, mm-hmm. or you go into management, right? So, and this is the management track where you actually manage people. Fundamentally, the only difference between the two, at least at a higher leadership level, is one, you have people reporting to you. So your primary role is to help other people. Whereas in the IC track, it is to sort of lead. Uh, you also do mentor people and you do have a leadership role, but you don't necessarily manage people, right? So those are the uh, two fundamental differences. And in that IC track, typically what used to happen is once people rise at a certain level, you know, once you get senior enough, people think the natural progression for growth is becoming a manager, right? And I feel in the recent years uh, that sort of, mindset has been dispelled where they're like, no, it's okay. You can, because what happens is like, it's a very different set of skills. And if you force someone who is not necessarily very good at management to become a manager, because that's the only logical step to growth in your career, you can get some pretty shitty managers, (laughs) you know? Uh, So I think this book helps encapsulate what does that look like? What is senior leadership in the engineering uh, industry at an IC track level? What does that look like for the staff engineers? It started out, as I understand, you know, by this author, Will Larson, 
who just interviews a bunch of these really senior engineers from very reputed companies like you know Stripe. I think there's Facebook, you know, uh, Shopify, you know, a bunch of these like uh, big organizations. And it started out with like a blog, you know, I think it was like a blog post or sort of for each of these uh, people, but then it was consolidated. And then Will Larson tries to see the different patterns, like, you know, what is the pattern uh, that he has noticed with all of these, you know, high functioning leaders and has sort of tried to encapsulate that in this book. So it's a really good book. I've, I think I've read it twice and I've also, you know, bought copies and given it to a lot of like, uh, you know, my colleagues and, you know, other uh, folks that I'm like mentoring. It's one of those books where it really gives you clarity. Again, it doesn't, it talks about archetypes because again, at this level, you have different archetypes, right? You could have people functioning and doing different roles and it sort of helps people understand and have that natural progression, right? Like what are the options? And again, this is at least, uh, you know, my personal take on this is it's a great book that helps you sort of understand your options, but eventually what you choose would might again be a combination of multiple uh, archetypes, right? It doesn't have to be like just one of these things that's specified by the author, but it helps give you uh, an understanding of like how these other folks have attacked this very similar problem and like, you know, how you can navigate that. So yeah, that's the book Staff Engineer Leadership Beyond the Management Track. Will Larson has also written like, uh, a book just for engineering management. I don't know if that one came before or like, you know, uh, I think maybe that was the original book. Yeah, and, I think it was the original, yeah. Yeah, and in this, he talks about the other side, which is like, okay, if you're like a manager, what does management in a software organization mean? So that's like a bonus companion book for those interested. Uh, I actually haven't read, read that one. The staff engineer book is the one that I've uh, read. So that's my first recommendation. The second one is a like, yeah, purely technical one. It's called Grokking Algorithms by Aditya Y. Bhargava. It's interesting. Again, like, you know, this is one of those books where I'm not necessarily interviewing. And this is exactly the kind of uh, questions that you're asked, you know, with the scary uh, proverbial <laughs> technical interview, yeah. like, you know, the Google, Facebook interview mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, my God, depth first search you know, Dijkstra's algorithm, like, you know, uh, 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 binary search, selection, sort, record, uh, recursion, you know, all yeah. those like fancy terms. Uh, and uh, I'll give some context. I, the reason I'm going through this is, A, this was a book that someone mentioned does a good job. It's uh, it's called an illustrated guide for programmers and other curious people. So it takes a very lighthearted approach to it. You know, they have like illustrations. Personally, I mean, you know, the illustrations don't necessarily it's nice to sort of do it at a gradual pace. Mm-hmm. But why I picked up this book was, uh, and maybe we talked about this offline, but I was actually learning Go, the language, programming language Go. And I found one of the best ways to sort of learn a new language is to try, you know, these sort of, uh, these sort of contorted problems, you know, things that I don't necessarily always use in my, you know, daily sort of uh, software engineering uh, practice it this is more like okay hey i have this specific problem like you know that's a programming problem how would i solve this in a different language so mm-hmm. what i noticed was good is like as i was learning go and trying to get familiar with the different paradigms i would take some of these algorithms you know read the book read that chapter and i'm like okay let me try implementing this in go and i found that this is like the best there's plenty of algorithm books right and this i don't know if i would necessarily recommend this one as the only one you would read if you're going for one of these technical interviews 
but again, that's not the objective here. The objective is like, hey, just get a little familiar with some of these like terms. And, you know, if you're learning a new language and you want to try the same algorithms in that language, it tends to be like interesting. And out of all the algorithm books, I feel this is the one with least friction, so to speak, if that makes sense, right? You know, it isn't like something where it makes you feel like you need to like bang your head against the wall like 20 times after reading each page. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, algorithm books can kind of be like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's, I would say out of all of them, this is definitely the one I found most uh, easy to sort of read. And the, uh, the Grokking series is actually like, uh, I think it's, you know, like how Manning and a bunch of these other publishers have these sort of... Uh, themes to their book like you know grokking x grokking y so this is yep. one of uh, one in that series nice nice um yeah the next one is actually slightly less technical and it's uh, this one called coders at work by peter siebel i don't know if i'm pronouncing his name correctly uh, but it, and it's called reflections on the craft of programming this is actually a slightly older book and you know i think it started out with this i think the original version was called founders at work you know, okay. that's one in this series. And then after that, because that book was so successful, I think they made another one. Uh, and this one is called Coders at Work. I love this book because it actually interviews a bunch of these really, like, you know, some of these people who are looked at as being like, you know, you know, the stalwarts of the industry. And uh, uh, Founders at Work was very interesting because, you know, I think they talked to a bunch of like the founders of like, you know, PayPal and a bunch of these other organizations. And Talk to them about their experience. It's like, hey, I know you did this great thing. Let me just like, you know, interview you and like, you know, uh, what are all the different things that you went through? So that was Founders at Work. That's a bonus read. Coders at Work is, okay, let's talk to some of these amazing programmers. Like, you know, some of these people who are considered like uh, the best. Let's just talk to them and, you know, what are the different things? How do they think? Like, you know, what are their mindset? You know, what can you learn from like this person? Mm -hmm. And it's told in a very good uh, manner. Yeah. I think the original one, I forget, but yeah, this one is by Peter Siebel and it, it it's written in a very nice way. So like, you know, each chapter is like a story uh, following one of these like people and it's a lot of fun. Like I, I that's a book that I really like. I've actually had both books after I read Founders at Work. I realized, hey, I should probably, you know, read this book as well. So <laughs> read the coder one, yeah. Yeah, so this one I've had for a long time. I didn't actually read it until recently. Uh, I've started reading this one and I'm really enjoying it. It is interesting because some of uh, because this book was written some time back and tech moves so fast. Uh, yeah. I bet a lot of people may not necessarily know you know all of the names mentioned here, but it's still nevertheless very interesting because these are smart people and there's a lot to learn from them. Mm -hmm. What's the next one? Oh, this one's an interesting one. I, I actually recently ran across this on Twitter. There was like this thread where people were kind of hating on, uh, what's the clean code, right? Uh, is that the one by Bob Martin? Uh, yep, it's by Bob, Bob Martin. Martin, yep. There were yep. a bunch of people who were hating, saying like, you know what, this is one of those books that's recommended really highly, but you know, it isn't necessarily always the best. <laughs> and I mean, truth be told, I felt like, you know, clean code is this ginormous book that everyone like recommends as uh uh, you know, one of those books that you should read. I think even we may have recommended, I may have recommended in my, in the last episode. It's a good book, but someone was like, you know what, that actually is not necessarily the best. If what you're looking for is like just learnings around software engineering, good software engineering practices. And they're like, I actually prefer this one. And it's called a philosophy of software design. So not necessarily the most fancy sounding title. 
It's by John Ousterhout. And I think it came up in a Twitter thread and I was like, oh, I've never run across this book. It's pretty good. It's basically just practical software recommendations, right? Like some of the chapters talk about, you know, why it's like, you know, our job primarily in the software industry is, you know, just combating complexity, right? Like good programmers basically eventually land up breaking down complexity. That's like primarily what you do, right? Take something that's otherwise inherently complex and just try to break it down. So, you know, what are some strategies around doing that? You know, you know, he talks about designing things twice, uh, you know, information hiding versus leakage. What's the difference? You know, abstraction, packaging by layers, a lot of the things that we actually talk about in these in this podcast, you know, uh, what is uh, what is the style of programming? I know it was funny. One of those chapters is and I think some people think of this as being controversial where, you know, he's uh, at least John Ouster's hot. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He appreciates comments a lot. He's like, oh, commenting is good. And actually, I find that I'm like more in this sort of uh, uh, band. I actually wrote a blog post called Space Shuttle Style Programming, right? So it's like the kind of thing where you write your comments heavily. So, you know, that's one thing that he talks about. Like, you know, uh, again, it's this person's opinion on like, you know, software design. And I actually kind of enjoyed it. I think it's it's a relatively thin book. It isn't like necessarily as big as Clean Code. And, you know, it's one of those things where I felt, no, this is, a good casual read as, you know, an engineer, as someone who, you know, uh, cares a lot about software design. What's the other two? Okay. Yeah. So quickly, the other two. So I'm going to go with six recommendations and then I'll hand it over to you. This one is Androids by Chet Haas. You know, Chet Haas is like a good friend uh, of the podcast. You know, they run the other podcast from Google. Androids is the book that he wrote and it's it came out pretty recently. You know, it's called Androids, the team that built the Android operating system. And uh, for a lot of readers here, I'm sure like you'll enjoy this book. So I won't like spoil too much of it, but it's 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 a little different than what you would think. You know, but Chet Haas is like you've probably seen him in Google I/O announcing the new Android sort of announcements and features. This isn't anything like that. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of it talks. It's almost like a biography of how the Android operating system started. Like you know, there's also some inside stories, things that are like interesting and you're like, what were they thinking doing this? And, you know, he actually does talk about <laughs> some of the stuff that they were thinking while making some of these decisions. And obviously he has access to like some of these people who are still very much are active in the, you know, uh, who are working on Android today. So it was, it's fascinating to see some of these people that you know somewhat closely, but also, you know, look up to and also how they've built the Android operating system. I found it, it's interesting. And it's actually a much lighter read than you would expect. It isn't like heavy on like, this is how you use async tasks and why we, like, <laughs> you know, it's it's much lighter than that, but it's it's got enough meat where you're like also starting to think. And I feel eventually it helps you understand how Android works, which is always a good thing because when you actually deal with it, you know, you tend to understand uh, how it all works. I'm looking at it online. I really wish that was an audible book. Like, I feel like that would be such a good read. Knowing Chet Haas and that he has like a podcast, like obviously the audiobook has to be coming. But like, yeah, we'll send him that feedback. We'll tell him, Chet, yeah. like, get on that audiobook already. You know? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've, st- I've spoken to Chet m- many times face to face around the history of Android and knowing my. You know, knowing what I've discussed with him in person, uh, I can only imagine how good this book is is with all kinds of just tons of information in it. So I'm gonna have to check this out. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That, that that was like definitely a good one. And uh, oh, by the way, Android 12, have you upgraded? <laughs> no, uh, no, no, I haven't. No, uh-uh. 
Yeah, that's a different. Yeah, that's a different one. Yeah, I, I was just thinking. I was like, Android phone is uh, interesting in many ways. Uh, but okay, we'll get to that in another episode. My last one is completely non-technical. This is actually a book that I picked up from my brother from his ginormous list. It's the Walter Isaacson biography of uh, Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci is one of this, like, you know, mythical people, like, well, not mythical, but whatever, you know, this person that everyone looks up to is referenced always. Uh, Walter Isaacson actually wrote the, a biography of Leonardo da Vinci. And I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I've just started reading it. Da Vinci is this person that I've always been fascinated with, uh, you know, not necessarily because I've done anything similar by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, I watched a lot of shows about Da Vinci and like reference in different characters. So obviously I was curious and Walter Isaacson very famously, I think most people like know him most recently uh, as the biographer of Steve Jobs, the most recent okay. Steve Jobs. I don't know if it's the most recent, but it's like a, it was the one where I think he had access to Steve Jobs while Steve Jobs was still alive. And so people wow. like were, oh, wow, like this is going to be amazing. He's going to tell things. I will say the the Steve Jobs one, didn't. it's a good read, but I don't think it necessarily came off as like, oh my God, this was such a good book. I've learned so much more about like, you know, you know Steve Jobs, who a lot of us, you know, who've kicked off arguably the most evolutionary mobile like cell programming, mm-hmm. well, not programming, but whatever, like, you know, the app store, therefore... As developers, it's something that we're all interested in and have some awareness of. Uh, that's the book that actually made him super popular, Walter Isaacson. Interestingly, he's also done a biography of Einstein, Albert Einstein. So just, you know, he's people like, you know, probably the most influential people on the planet. He's, he's written some of the uh, biographies. So he's done the research and understands how to like form some of these biographies. Mm-hmm. The Da Vinci one is looking interesting so far, but again, I'll reserve judgment till the end because, you know, a lot of the other books I, towards the end, I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, doesn't end up being that uh, impressive. So those are my recommendations. I will hand it over back to you now for the rest of yours. Oh, we got so many here. I, I'm just, I'll, I'll keep it short. I mean, those are, that Isaacson one sounds interesting to me. I'm always fascinated with the biographies of, of folks like that just because, it's interesting to see you're not in their mind, but you can at least get a good idea of how they thought or the, you know, look at their actions. You know, that's kind of what I've always said, like, look what people do, not what they say. And if you can see what they're doing, then it's uh, interesting to see what you can learn from it. So I'll have to check that out. And um, I don't know, there's another one, like the, the grokking algorithms one. That one sounds interesting to me because I've had, you know, multiple interviews at different companies and every single one of them want me to, to read and digest some humongous algorithms book, which I have zero interest in doing I whatsoever. Know, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, no, I'd rather go scrape paint off a wall. Like, okay. <laughs> this is the untold secret, right? Like everyone absolutely hates this process. I don't think there's anyone who's like, Ooh, I'm looking forward to like this algorithms interview. Uh, it is detested universally. A lot of good companies are trying to change that practice too now. Uh, but yeah, it's like one of those things. There is some beauty to the science of it, right? And I, I I try to approach it from that, but I'm like, no, I genuinely want to think about how someone brought about this unique way of solving a problem. I don't look at it as like, okay, I need this for my next interview because that would just kill all joy. <laughs> what some listeners might also be wondering too that are new to the industry, or, or they might be thinking, well, why do we even need, why are they even doing that? Like, what's the point of these crazy algorithm tests and et cetera, if it's something that no one really likes or uses. 
and, and in my opinion, this is strictly from my opinion, is that when you're working, when you go work at a big company like Google, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, they have insane amounts of data. They run into problems that 99% of us will never, ever see because of the scale in which they run. So yeah, if you can shave off a few milliseconds or whatever, or store data a little more efficiently with this specific algorithm, that may not matter for a startup that's, you know, working with, you know, project management software, but for a company that's of the scale of Google, whatever, that could save millions of potential, you know, millions of dollars or, you know, or whatever. So they have those problems that necessitate that kind of in-depth knowledge. Yeah, that's a good point. That's definitely the optimistic take. <laughs> yeah, that is the optimistic I, yeah, take. Yeah, I'm a little more cynical towards that. And uh, look, Instacart is a big company now, right? I, uh, and we also have like, you know, some of our interviews start to like delve in like some of these things. We're definitely like, you know, way further from the level that Google and Facebook sort of uh, use like these in their interviews. But the other aspect, right? And, you know, I've worked with a lot of these people and, like, you know, just seeing a lot of these engineers come from different companies. The other aspect is also, look, uh, Google and Facebook are humongous, right? They interview more people than most companies will ever, like, you know, hire or have in like their entire process, right? That's like the, the number of applications is astounding. Like, how many applications you get? I mean, even at Instacart, where I work, we get so many applications now, like, more where, like, even we have like a huge recruiting org that's like trying to like keep, uh, keep on top of this. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what that looks like at the scale of Google and Facebook, right? Companies that are like easily like four or 10 times the size. And part of why they do these interviews is like, look, if this person can so crack or solve this problem that is agreeably pretty complex and hard as rated by the industry, then we can be assured that they'll be able to like solve a problem that's 70% of that complexity or 60%. So it's almost like a huge filter that helps them yes. quickly sift through a lot of candidates where they're like, if you can at least do X, I know eventually we'll be able to do Y. So I'll bet on like getting the upper average sort of uh, the upper average sort of echelon of like engineers. And that's enough. Mm -hmm. This process very clearly doesn't aim to get the best engineers because there's a, you know, a, a lot of people say the same thing. They're like, some of the best engineers I know don't even like look at algorithms, but they're amazing software engineers and programmers. These people are right. You know, I believe that too. But that would work at startups. Like, you know, at Google scale, they can't be spending the time chasing these engineers. So, and at the same time, they also don't want like engineers who are like just fresh, who have like zero knowledge, who have not written a single line of code, right? So they optimize for like, let's, let's try to get the vast majority of engineers who are able to at least solve this complex problem. And then, you know, a majority of them would be able to do like something that we asked them to do, which is like 20% of that uh, complexity, right? So that's at least my take. I think I'm, I'm almost convinced that's why big companies do this. It's just the quickest way to sift through like candidates and get like, you know, a decent sort of uh, uh, selection, even though I don't actually agree with a lot of that, right? Because software engineering, you need to spend the time with each engineer. And, but that's a hard problem. Like just being able to recruit these engineers is really hard. Like the amount of time, you know, I spend a lot of time interviewing uh, candidates at Instacart and it, it's taxing, right? You know, it isn't easy for the interviewer. I'll tell you that too. Like, you know, this isn't something that the interviewer is. 
we try to obviously like you know it, it's a high stress situation for like interviewees so like we try our best to make sure that like we're making them feel comfortable but trust me like this entire process is like not enjoyable by anyone <laughs> yeah no not at all it's uh, hiring is such a challenge to do and then it, it, someone joins you know it's then you you know uh, you want to make sure that people are happy and that they stay um but you know the software industry is weird there's everybody moves quite often and that's just kind of the nature of the beast so yeah uh i think that i mean that's why a lot of the bigger companies have so many other perks to keep you know keep people enticed to stay around longer if they can so it's I know if there's more perks for a lot of people and the you know the pay is good, then it makes it a little harder to leave unless there's something else that's you know bigger and shinier somewhere else. That's true. That's true. Sorry, I took us on a tangent there. Yeah, yeah, before, right. <laughs> yeah like yeah, let's let's get to your book. Sorry. I have so many other ones here that we could do a complete other episode. So I'm just gonna limit this down to these three here in reverse order, with the best one being the last that I recommend everybody read. But so we'll start in a reverse order. I am currently reading uh, a book. That's actually quite old. I think it's almost near a hundred years old. Uh, it's called "How to Lie with Statistics." Oh, I think I've heard about this book. I've not read it, but yeah, it's a classic. Uh, really breaks down what, um, like, just statistics analysis um, into like plain terms, so you can understand them. And the numbers are in the terms of you know 1920s, 30s, 40s, whenever this was written, and you could tell that. Like as long as you just don't take those numbers for granted and just realize that there's inflation and everything, it will show you just how simple it is using simple little methods where if someone tells you, hey, this is you know 70% probability likely to happen, well, they didn't tell you the bounds of that 70%. They're actually looking at some mean average in between. Like It's just really weird how people can really utilize numbers uh, to lie with statistics. So fascinating eye-opening read uh just to, to look for and my own analysis purposes uh, of the current world what's that quote by mark twain there's lies damn lies and statistics right <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> yeah i'm up a third of the way through that book and i've there's been numerous times where i've just one of those situations where you, i read something i'm like oh my god wow and i just close the book and look up at the scene like holy cow like i didn't ever realize that like okay interesting okay um the next one here is this one i've actually this is one of the books i've been reading for like three or four years <laughs> um it's called um and i just haven't finished it because i just i'll listen to it let it sit for a long time and it's called influenced by robert robert cialdini and it was written a number of years ago and it's about the influence that uh, like how people are influenced um you know good or bad and about all of the tactics that are used and he uses many examples like uh how you know certain people might put up uh like how billboards work or something like that and reason why all of this stuff works and reason why certain advertising works and reason why certain messaging works and you're just like and he explains it and breaks it down into like a psychological level and so again this is something i'm reading for my own understanding of the own world of the world around me but i find it absolutely fascinating because i once you start to see a lot of this stuff you can't unsee it like you just see them like oh i know what they're doing over there oh i see exactly what that company's doing oh i see what you know this politician's doing or i see what that person's doing and all over the place you just start seeing stuff you're like oh i get it and so it just makes it, it gives me a better filter for being able to understand the current world and then the last one here this is the one that i 
personally recommend everybody read. I think everybody can get something out of this. It's very easily easy to read, fun to read, and it's free. Uh, and it's called the Naval Namak. And that is the almanac of Naval Ravikant. And this is basically a lot of his posts, um, maybe his um, like his podcasts that have been transcribed and put into a format that reads like a book. And I just went to navalmanac.com, which we'll link to. You can download the Mobi file, um, PDF, whatever, or you can actually just go buy it. If you want to buy it physically online, you can do that too. But I just downloaded the Mobi file, emailed it to my Kindle and read it. And it was just such a mind like opening read to just make me think about everything in life uh and i really enjoyed it really loved it and just you'll get something out of it guaranteed uh it'll be worth your time naval ravikant is like he's he's a fascinating he's i think by by and large he's like one of the best tweeters <laughs> you know like his yes. tweets are just like pity short and like you know they have like they're very profound uh tweets he can get a little like yeah i, I so the interesting is like actually one of uh, the co-founders of Instacart who's a good friend uh, worked with Naval directly. You know, this is back in the angel list days. Uh, yeah, so I've actually seen like Naval Ravikant talk. He's 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 this very interesting. He's like this Zen Buddhist kind of like you know person who's like revamp, but then has really strong opinions about some things. So he's just he's a he's a fascinating character. You know, uh, yes, I that definitely is like true. Uh, you know, he's just. So he's, he's worth listening to. Um, I didn't actually know they compiled it into a book, which is interesting. I should, yeah. These are great recommendations, man. How to lie with statistics. That one I'm like interested in, but the influence uh, by uh, Robert, that book is, I, I mean, for folks who've uh, seen the show Mad Men, you know, it sounds like, uh, you know, in that genre. So I love the show and, you know, that's the, like, you know, uh, that's the kind of thing that really gets me interested when I'm like, oh, I'd love to think about the psychology of what someone thought to design something for someone else, right? <laughs> like, you know, that whole meta thinking is, I feel fascinating. And yeah, if it sounds like it's in that genre, so I'm definitely going to be buying that one. Yeah, I mean, the I mean, this is uh, the influence book reminds me a lot of working effectively with legacy code because of the chapter, the chapter titles. Um, they're not as good as the working effectively legacy to uh legacy code ones but you know he has you know chapter titles like one right here just like chapter four social proof you know um chapter five authority chapter six scarcity so he, he walks through all of you know number six unity the we as the shared me and this you know this book was written years and years ago so this is just a the subtitle is the psychology of persuasion and it's not because i want to learn how to persuade people but it's like i want to see how i'm being persuaded throughout the world and that's been just a huge eye-opening read. And it's, it's been fascinating. It's been fun. I'll read a little bit of it, maybe a chapter every few months, let it sit, let it simmer, and then uh, see how it applies to real life. Don, I think you just burnt a big hole in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, that's great. I love it. Like, you know, this is exactly, it's also a lot of fun to like know someone who has similar interests and like the books that they're reading, you know, isn't there, uh, this is like a common thing, right? Like when friends go meet other friends in social like settings or mm -hmm. you know, when they go to meet someone else in the other home, a very common thing people do is like, you know, they go to their bookshelf and see the books that they're reading, right? Like I think yeah. there's something, yeah, I forget what the saying was. So this is a virtual version of that. So thank you for sharing your books. Yeah, thank you for sharing yours. This is, uh, I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of uh, especially with your books, like that we have a very technical crowd. Your books definitely cater directly to that technical area. I think a lot of people are going to end up, you know, picking up 
especially the, for just to back up what you said about the Will Larson book, Staff Engineer, fantastic book. His other one, uh, Elegant System, I think it's called, oh, is yeah, yeah. The, the first one. Both of those fantastic books for if you're in the technical industry, it's well worth your time. They are very, buy the physical book. I'm going to recommend that straight up because it's very nicely done. Like the binding, it's just a nice book. Do you have the physical one? I do. I do have the physical one. I got both versions of the physical one, especially because I was taking notes. And it's the kind of thing where, how do I put it? I'm, I'm sure many people in their career, because I know I definitely faced it, where you're like semi-confused and you're trying to understand like, hey, how am I supposed to go about this, you know? Or what does that mean? Or you feel this thing, but you don't know how to put it in words. That's where like reading books, and especially that one with Will Larson, it was able to help me go back to like, you know, uh, uh, my company and my managers and say, look, this is what I want. I feel this. And therefore, I do not want this. I want this. This is how I think I can be more influential and have impact and blah, blah, blah. And it gives you the tools and the ability to sort of put in words what you're feeling and how you can be more effective. Because eventually, if you're working in a good company, everyone wants that, right? So, but nobody can read minds here. So you being able to express that in a way uh, that is easily digestible by other folks is just pretty powerful so yeah yeah the art of making something complex very simple is a very difficult job <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> don this is amazing thank you for uh sharing your recommendations i will throw this in you also are despite being a prolific reader you're also a prolific writer so uh, I know you're working on like a recent book. Well, which one is it? Can you tell folks uh, the recent book that you've already written? I think at this point, I don't know if you've shared that out. Sorry. Yeah, there, there's no, I don't have a title for it yet, but essentially what the, the book is, is it's going to be the blueprint for freelancing. Uh, I'll come up with some nice pithy title eventually, but um, I'm actually in the process of, of reorganizing it um, because of a book that I read that I didn't talk about. There's actually another book um, that I can get to. Uh, eventually I'll, I'll tell you guys about it, but it's a book that teaches you how to write books in a way that are, that makes, not makes people, but makes it enjoyable for the reader to get, have them get the most out of it. I don't know how many times you've read a book mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, this is great information, but geez, Louise, I wish I would just get to the content already. Like this is so much stuff. <laughs> right, right. So that's the way my book was originally written was just too much fluff. And so I'm rewriting it. That book is going to be, think of it like, like I said, the blueprint for freelancing. If you pick up this book, this will be the book that teaches you how to go from a full-time employee to a full-time freelancer making over six figures in freelancing. And I know that's quite the lofty claim, but this does work. I have shown people how to go from full-time employees uh, to running a independent software consulting company like me. Also, I've had someone who I've helped coach and have now has started their own agency. Some people are making, you know, low six figures. I know one of the people that I have kind of coached over the last number of years, he is making close to almost like a half million dollars a year in freelancing and consulting. Another guy is running an agency, multi-million dollar agency. So not saying this is what you're going to go to, but those are the heights in which are possible. Um, and this is all just based off of my experience. So that's the first one that I'm writing. Hopefully, I'd like to have that out beginning of... 2022. Uh, and then the next one after that is going to be one that's just basically going to talk about how you can make almost anything in your life happen. It just 
Um, I'm not going to give away the title yet, but it's the art of actually getting out there, putting yourself out there to make magic happen is kind of somewhat of a subtitle. And it's uh, just making things happen in your life through exposure and so forth. I love my job at Instacart, but when I decide that, hey, it's time to start uh, moving to different things, your book is going to be the first one I'm going to read. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited, dude. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. And if folks want to reach out to you, Don, what's the best place to do that? They can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Don Felker with two N's uh, on both platforms. And if folks want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, Twitter usually, but I actually also want to pitch. Uh, so I've I've started to like, you know, during the pandemic, dabble a little with YouTube videos. I actually have recorded one. I've not put it up, but hopefully in a week or two is when I'm going to put it up. I would point out to like a fancy channel name, but like I'm super new to this whole YouTube thing. Uh, Don's been creating a bunch of really good ones too. So you should go look at uh, uh, that one. But so I don't have a fancy name, but yeah, hey, subscribe to my channel. And I think in a week or two, I'm actually going to release videos about this blog post I wrote about some time back on keyboard hacking. So this is like, you know, I feel like, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, oh yeah, that's really cool. But when they actually see me do it, like, you know, when they see how like my keyboard, when you use my keyboard is just very different, people are like way more fascinated. So I kind of took the time to like record a video, or at least I tried to, and I'll be putting that out soon. So yeah, folks should subscribe and, you know, send in your requests if you want to make your keyboard function in like a very specific way i've spent a lot of time thinking about this <laughs> we gotta get uh we gotta get my friend scott on the on this on uh, on an episode he runs a, a keyboard website you guys would really have fun <laughs> oh no, well yeah that's coming up then <laughs> <laughs> definitely all right thanks for listening folks and we will catch you in the next episode everybody thanks for tuning into this episode we really appreciate it before we get going wanted to let you know that we do share additional content that's not on this actual podcast for example i talk about software development and freelancing over on my youtube channel and that's at donfelker.com youtube and kaushik recently started the channel and he's gonna be talking about hardware software programming and much much more and you could check him out over at y.jkl.gg Thanks again, folks. We hope to see you over there and we'll catch you soon. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and we will catch you in the next episode.